This podcast is brought to you by the founders of Chabra Chai, an authentic and completely sugar-free chai tea company. This series, our theme will be inspiration. You don't have to save the world to be inspiring. And our friends are perfect examples of that, inspiring us every single day by being unapologetically themselves. Hello and welcome back to the No Added Sugar podcast with Ruby, Bratima and Casey. And today we have another fabulous guest with us, Aman. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Um, Aman's going to tell us about her life and what she's up to at the moment and just generally living with a renal related issue which has... um, Impacted. Yes, impacted (laughs) different aspects of her life and shaped her path really. So over to you, Aman. Okay, um, so I'm Iman, I'm 24 and I have end-stage renal failure and I was first diagnosed with renal issues at the age of six. Uh, I think I was in year one or year two, something around that time. And I'd just come back from holiday in Pakistan and just started feeling a bit sick, was getting a lot of swelling and sort of stuff. So parents took me off to the doctors and then they ran a few tests and found out that I had nephrotic syndrome which is where your kidneys aren't really functioning properly. So they're leaking protein like into your tissue and you get a lot of swelling from that. Um, It's quite uncommon in childhood. So there wasn't really like a treatment plan in place. And a lot of kids tend to grow out of it with the inner teens, like it sort of corrects itself. Oh, so they thought it was temporary. Yeah, they thought it was going to be temporary. So uh, they put me on like temporary treatments. Everything was sort of like a test treatment. And um, they they were just hoping that when I kind of hit my teens, I would grow out of it and that would be kind of the end of it. So I was from like age six, like on steroid treatments and oh things gosh. like that, um, weekly drips. So it would kind of get better and be stabilized but then when they tried to wean me off like the steroid um, dosing like I'd get to like a certain dose and I'd relapse again so the swelling would happen and then back in hospital having like albumin drips and things to Mm -hmm. kind of correct itself Mm -hmm. and that was just kind of how kind of went on and off on and off but I was like my kidneys were still working just not greatly it was was it both kidneys both kidneys Yeah. yeah both kidneys and then I mean it's just like, you kind of just adapt to it, and that was it. It's just like, you go to school, and then if you get sick, yeah. taper the medication accordingly. It's kind of hospital each visit. Day that comes. Yeah. Um, luckily, the hospital was only about 15, 10, 10, 15 minutes in between, like, home and school, so yeah. it was okay. It wasn't too bad. And then, I mean, it got to kind of end of primary and start of secondary, where it the treatment just wasn't working anymore. And then there was just a lot of issues where... Um, there was disputes over whether I was taking my medication or whether my parents were managing my, my treatment properly. Um, there was a lot of that going back and forth. Blaming, like, yeah, a lot of blame, blaming yeah. basically between like doctors and the parents and then thinking maybe I need to see a psychologist because of like mental trauma to do with it. And I was like, no, it's not really that. It's just my parents were giving me the, the treatment as prescribed. But what had actually happened was... Um, the illness itself had progressed into like a secondary kind of stage and they hadn't even considered and they hadn't thought of that so um and then there were bits where like i ended up having to stay in hospital for observation and there was a lot of like malpractice involved in a way because like i'd be in the hospital and they'd be doing these tests where it shows okay i'm taking the medication because the blood level is there but then the blood results would go missing things like that so there was yeah there was a lot of like um 
no one really knew what they were doing yeah. kind of thing and there was a lot of blame did you, you know this as a kid I mean yeah they, I knew what was going on as it was happening because yeah. I was quite clued up to it like I was one of those kids where um, and I was quite shocked by this but I didn't realise a lot of kids actually don't know what's going on with them whereas me I've always been like any sort of thing in my life mm. I always want to know what's happening and be in, in control yeah. and in charge of it kind of thing so if I'm going to the hospital I'm going because it's my appointment and if you're making a decision with my so medical you knew plan, everything that was going I knew on. everything from the start. Like, um, from when I got sick, I knew how to order my prescriptions at the GP. Wow, you like, were I mean, not that I was allowed to do that kind of thing, but like, I knew that okay, when my medicine runs out, you go to the GP, you get a prescription, I you get just a recently pharmacy. Learned how to do that? Yeah, that sort of thing. Like, I was so you really shocked. scared. No, like for me, it was like just the control thing I hated giving up any kind of control so this used to be another dispute with like the doctors and my parents was because like the doctors was like oh um she's too young to understand what's going on so you need to make the decisions for her with and I'm like no but it's my body like my treatment and I know the side effects from everything so I'm not gonna say yes to this if I don't know what the like full ins and outs are whereas you know like with your parents the doctor could literally just say yeah we're going to do this this and your parents aren't having to go through it so they're like if that's what the doctor who is supposed to be a medical professional is telling you is right then we just kind of go with it Mm. so they used to get a lot of stress from me because I'd be like no I'm not doing that and to explain why I need to do yeah. it and why can't we do it another way kind of thing so did that cause like a bit of yeah I, I got labelled as non-compliant so <laughs> I was labelled as a non-compliant patient literally that was on my file so um, that made it all the more difficult no, but I like it you had like authority because when a doctor tells you something you're just like okay fine like yeah, you're, I you're hated right. that. I like, was, they hated having me as a patient and I hated being their patient because I was like, no, I'm not doing this. So when I got to kind of 12, 11, 12, I spent like three, four months in hospital around that wow. time just before, I, yeah, just after I turned 12 because at that point I got really sick and all the medications just weren't working. So they kept me in for observation. I was at like the Wits Cross, I think it was. Um, and I was just there for, I think, for like a good two, three months. Just I was going to school, so I was staying in the hospital, going to school for lessons during the day, and then coming back to the hospital. And like, it was just like constant tests and things like that, but nothing was really coming out of it. So, and then in the end they were like, okay, maybe we should do a biopsy on the kidneys to see what's going on there because we're giving the medicines, but- It's taking a really long time. Like, it sounds like it's been going wrong and you're still not doing anything. Then you're in hospital for- Yeah, it literally was. And then everything that they tried just wasn't working. And it was, oh, you're not, doing it like we're so giving they you this then medicine. turned around and blamed it on you yeah but they didn't actually and know my parents are like my parents were like labeled as being like non-compliant for, well. with the treatment as well and it was like that word yeah. that word just criminal. kept coming up and my mum literally you hit, say that word to my mum now oh my god like <laughs> her trigger. face yeah it's a trigger literally and even to this day she's like I still didn't get an apology for that still didn't get an apology for that when that happened like how did you deal with the doctors like was there any way of being like right let's change hospitals or like the no because it was I mean it was the only hospital we knew it was like I was under Great Ormond Street because the local hospital which was ripped across to us didn't really know how to manage it so they had a kids ward so but any treatment plan was coming through Great Ormond Street yeah so yeah I would go there in between but like for the main so if I'm having a drip like it makes sense for me to go to the local hospital and have that drip because it's the distance but it's the same plan coming from the same doctor it's just over the phone 
that kind of thing. And I was still going every month to the other hospital anyway to see the consultants. And they were just, they didn't know what they were doing from completely. Any, everything literally was just trial and error. More error than any sort of like. <laughs> Have you but, really like lost faith in the whole like medical system? It really did. It really put me off completely. I hated like going there. And then the doctor is himself, like, he was just, he, he was just incompetent to be honest. I just, I found him really unhelpful. And it was just a blame game on the parents and the child rather than oh, okay, we might need to change things up. Eventually, they got round to making that decision and booking me for a biopsy, and then that was supposed to be, like, one of my first major surgeries. Oh so that in itself was like, oh, my God, not doing this. And then had that, and lo and behold, the results come back. Oh, yep, a diagnosis has changed, which oh is why God. the medical plan is not working. So <laughs> then literally straight away, the day after the results came out, they changed my entire medicine like list, um, the treatment. So what was the diagnosis change? It changed to um, the secondary version of nephrotic syndrome was like, um, it's called focal and segmental glomerular sclerosis. I can't say it properly, but yeah. Wow. It's um, FSGS for short. Yeah. And it's where like, I think your kidneys scar up like they form scar tissue there's i think the filters like block up or something so eventually um you will go into kidney failure um you can manage it a little bit better with treatment again they didn't know how to manage it because i think i was a, a younger than it's more expected than adults a lot more um sort of okay we'll try this we'll try that so one solution was giving me this albumin drip um every week so i used to go weekly to the hospital to have this drip and it would take the swelling down because mm. i think something was leaking if i'm correct from my kidneys that was causing me to have the the swelling and i was just really overloaded like i weighed like 60 kilos like i was just what a age was this? I, I was uh, about 11 and 12 about, wow. about that time like on that just take a step back a sec and just maybe explain how and why you're here because um, we've dived straight into your story, but I think it's important to know how Amman kind of ties into our theme of a story to inspire. Um, so as Amman mentioned, all this was happening while she was at school. Um, and I and myself and Ruby, we met you when we were like three. Yeah. Um, and then we went to school together. And why I think we were in more close contact is because one, we we're in the same house. And two, you, <laughs> yeah. because of you were going to the doctor so much, you did some classes for my school year. Um, so already, I feel like from young, I was, I was, the thing that confused me was like, she's going through something that I was, I feel so far apart from. So I think for me, it definitely exposed me to something that was definitely really difficult to comprehend but also like whoa like there's something else like going on I, I think I'm skipping ahead but just one time I visited you in St Great Ormond Street Hospital I think I came home and I was just like whoa it's my mum like <laughs> like what is like what is going on I think that's why you're here and that's why we've asked you to come on the podcast it's like you are so positive and you're so strong-willed and I think when you were talking about being like I'm, I just was like non-compliant I just do my own thing it's like yeah we know man like we heard you in form room telling everyone what's what like we know like Mar- oh man's here like <laughs> your presence is always known you're so like not argumentative but you were really no, I like argumentative you were right? just like if you had it was your way you've just always been such a strong personality and to still be so strong 
even though what we're talking about you we've not even got to the point where you're even like in your tween years yeah um, yeah. it's just amazing so yeah, we're still on 11 and 12 yeah, and it's only like <laughs> Jesus so much to do with yeah and from going from being such a young age having such a difficult like kind of issue too as well Cause, like some of the stuff you were saying before the terminology I was like I don't know what that means <laughs> <laughs> being Trust me, six I had years to old and understanding all mm. of this and telling your mum and dad and the doctors what to do mm. so how has like having this kidney problem like formed different ways, ways of thinking yes yeah. I, I think I'm a lot more carefree about what I do and mm. I know what I want to do and I'm quite determined that I'm going to do that because of like restrictions with being sick younger so like when I was younger I'd, I'm not having that control over a lot of things and having those like fights with the doctors and my parents about like no but I want to do it this way and stuff like that it's just like the older I've got it's more important for me to make sure that I've got complete yeah. all-round control of my life whether it be about where if I'm going on holiday seeing someone going out you know work-wise it's got to be my choice and I want to enjoy like every day kind of like the fullest because I used to be, I used to be quite morbid, I think, through my teens, it was like, oh my god, am I going to survive to 15, 16, 17? Because it's like, every time I used to get better, I used to be like, cool, we're fine. And then, while I'm up nowhere, I'd get sick, and then I'd be like, oh my god, like, don't know what's going to happen, yeah. kind of thing. So I'd, and then I'd be like, no, 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 like, it's fine, like, you're cool, you're fine, you're going to, it's another blip, you're going to shake it off. And then after that, it was just like, actually, you know what? literally you don't know if you're going to be in hospital tomorrow so while you're out today do whatever the hell you want to do kind of thing i like so, that yeah because like yeah. it's the opposite way it could be like i need to be really cautious about everything i do because yeah. You know. yeah i know like a lot of people who get sick and stuff they're like they get really militant about their routines yeah. and the way they live their lifestyle choices um eating drinking um sleeping times you know traveling things like that me i'm like have as much fun as you can <laughs> yeah because i and i learned that not only from being sick myself but like i think from with my grandparents as well because like oh. growing up um a lot of the time when i was sick and off school i spent that time with my grandparents anyway like i grew up around my grandparents more than like with my parents and just like kids my age so i was influenced a lot by Maybe the older generation wise, you're, you're, yeah. so with that it was always like my my grandma was diabetic and she had heart problems and stuff like that and she was just like I was always cool with my food and yeah. my drinking not drinking alcohol but like just a, her intake of like mm. any food and drink um just living day she was just normal housewife like, yeah. yeah but she was just like I'm old now like I want to enjoy myself yeah. and okay I've got diabetes but I'm still gonna have the full <laughs> full sugar seven yeah. up because like I've wasted all this time being careful <laughs> and I'm fed up of it kind of thing and yeah I'm gonna have the ice cream and I'm like and we're sitting there going, no, no, it's not don't good for you. Like, yeah, don't eat it. But it, she's just like, what? I've yeah. done all this, like, all this time and I've missed out on, like, enjoying myself. Mm. So when she'd say stuff like that, I was like, okay. Kind maybe, of inspired a rebellion. Yeah, like, maybe that's what we should be doing. Just like, so I know there's a lot of things where I should probably be a little bit more, like, militant yeah. on with, like, my medical upkeep and things like that but I'm just still the as much as I tell myself tomorrow yeah I'll be a bit more stricter about it it doesn't happen yeah. I'm like actually I'm gonna have fun today instead kind of thing <laughs> but so. I like that um I like I can see that like you're trying to 
be no- like be not be normal, but be yourself. Like be a man rather than a man who's not well. Like you, yeah. you also need to like live your own life. And it's like I think there's a certain maturity because you already like had these kind of like, thoughts young. Like in school, you're still thinking, I wanna, I wanna live life. I wanna do this, but it's like you're already thinking about what you what what medication you need to take what like all these other pressures that no one else is really kind of getting and it's not like obviously not to the same extent but i think for you as well Pratt, like with having diabetes there's this a maturity that like you're deep like <laughs> in some ways in some ways but you're dealing with something that not i'm not like we're, yeah. we can't relate to you in the sense that like you have to watch your shit it's a responsibility like, yeah it's a responsibility put on you yeah. from a young age yeah like, an unwanted responsibility yeah literally <laughs> an unwanted responsibility yeah but like mm. you say you just kind of get on with it it's just like mm. you have to do it or you'll die so just literally that mm. exactly that that is one of my main thinking points now is like if you don't do it like i go to dialysis three times a week mm. and i go there and then i go to work straight after so I just, like, people are like, how do you do it and stuff like that? I'm like, it was very simple. If I don't go, I'll die. Yeah. Like, yeah. that is just as simple as it is. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. that's yeah. just... And I'm like, I don't mean to be blunt, but it's just a case of, like, what can I do if I don't go? Like, okay, I might miss one session. I might be okay. I miss another one. I'll start getting sicker. The more I miss, the more toxins are going to build up in my body. And eventually I'm just going to, like, die. self-poison myself yeah. and just die. That's it. So do you feel like having to upkeep, make sure that you're like always on top of your like illness all the time, do you feel like from when you were young that stopped you from doing anything that you wanted to do or held Probably. you back in any way? Not not like that well, you I had actually, particularly noticed. The, the irony is I did get held back a year anyway yeah. at school. Oh, so yeah. um, that's why I was in Casey's mm. um, year a lot because in second year so year seven no yeah, eight year year eight i basically attended for like 20 percent of the year yeah. because i was having dialysis at that time as well and i was having dialysis on monday wednesday friday so i was barely in on the even on the tuesdays and thursdays because i was just feeling sick so um because i was still getting used to having started dialysis and stuff so and at Great Ormond Street, they had a very restricted like time slots that you could attend. Whereas there's a little bit more flexibility now in the hospital that I go to now. There's more slots and availabilities. So because of that, then I ended up going back here, and then I was like already nearly because I was born in September. I was already like nearly a year older than everyone in my original year. Mm. Now I was like nearly two years older than everyone, and then I was just like, oh no, like missing out on like being in classes with my friends, like different lunch times, break yeah. times kind of thing. So important to you when you're that. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, even things like going to, like, sports day. Like, yeah. You're not in the and same no group. Yeah. yeah. And it was okay, like, the first year that um, I went back a year because I was still in the same form room as my friends, mm. like, the ones that were in the same form as me. But then the next year, they went into the next storeroom and you're like, oh, no, like, bye, guys. I don't even see you in the mornings now. So that was annoying. I mean, as well, like, spending a lot of time in the hospital growing up, I wasn't spending that time out with my friends or, you know, like after school, sometimes you'll go around to each other's houses on the weekends. Like I didn't have that. Like I wasn't spending time with kids my age. If I was around kids, it was sick kids or all sorts of ages in the hospitals. And I didn't really make a lot of friends. I mean, there was a couple, um, but yeah, it was just, you weren't doing that sort of things, that sort of thing. So I was either with adults Probably why you think I'm a little bit more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, just adults or just like 
the sick kids or just very very rarely than my friends if I was at school. Do you keep in contact with any of those um, kids that you met at Great Ormond Street or at any of them? There's a few of them yeah I do actually. Um, There's I've got a lot of them on Facebook actually we catch up here and there. Um, Do they all have the same? Um, The ones that I do keep in touch with they're all the ones that were on dialysis with me so like they're the ones I think I swapped days eventually to Tuesday, Thursdays, and that was like the big kids' days because those <laughs> like those kids were like trying to make sure they spent a lot of time in school. So we were on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sessions at the hospital, so that we were only missing two days at school. So we were all the teens and stuff. So we kind of were seeing each other three times a week. So that that became our little click, click mm. at the hospital, and we'd all be sitting around like, oh yeah, can I make, can you make sure I sit next to her? So <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, well, I even at dialysis. Yeah, literally there was. I've, I when I first got diagnosed with kidney failure, in um, I was twelve and I was at Great Ormond Street, and while I was in, it was it was sudden, so it was an expected kind of thing. Um, my mum met this um, lady in the canteen and her daughter and she was saying, oh yeah, I've seen you, I've seen your daughter. And then um, she was telling my mum about her daughter and her diagnosis and stuff and she was just saying that like, um, maybe they can meet and talk and yeah. stuff. And then eventually I did meet her daughter and she was two years older than me. And there was, I think one, two, there was five sisters, I think there was, wow. and the second oldest, which is the one that I became friends with, and the youngest had the same. They were born with kidney failure. Oh, wow. So the mum had both of the daughters. Yeah. So both of the daughters were on dialysis at the same time. So she was bringing two kids in rather than just the one. Yeah. And um, so I became really good friends with her daughter. Um, there was another girl that was two years older than us. So it was like us three. That, so we used to meet up a lot outside of the cool dialysis session. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, okay, we'll go out to the cinema and stuff. And then the dialysis unit tried to like um, do things nicely for us as well. Like they'd uh, try and organise like evenings out. Like if we're all going to dialysis together, maybe on a Saturday we could all go to the cinema or bowling, things That's like nice. that. Like the hospital tried to organise things for like patients that were there kind of like long term and stuff like that as well. So um, me and one of the girls, we be- yeah, we became really good friends. I became really good friends with her family. Her grandparents lived on the next street to me. So every... Sunday, her entire family used to get together, and I used to go as well, oh, just because like so nice. yeah. we were like so close. It was I was always around with mm. them, like with her cousins as well. So it was really nice. And then because she was born with it, um, she was able to kind of explain to me like her ways of living and stuff. She had extra issues, um, like heart issues as well, mm-hmm. complications. Um, because she was on dialysis like nearly all of her life, so that's put a lot of strain on her heart. And then, um, unfortunately, last summer she passed away. Aww. So, but it was again, it was the heart stuff they gave up because of, the, and she'd had three kidney transplants throughout her life. So, and eventually they said that your heart's just too weak, can't put you um, on the list again for another transplant. Yeah. We don't know if you're going to be strong enough for her heart transplant as well. So yeah, but now her younger sister, she did have um, a transplant when um, quite shortly after my first transplant, actually just a few months later, and she's still going strong. That's nice that you could like share experience so like so close because they were so close together. Yeah, and they live around the corner as well. So So you still see her, and you're still Mm. in touch with the younger sister. Yeah, so I still see their um, again. The cousins are like my age as well, so I see them quite frequently here and there. So it's uh, so was. Do you think? 
having to go back to Great Ormond Street, do you find it ever quite draining, like, emotionally, to, like, beyond, like, not being able to be, like, with your friends at school? But then did you find, like, was the atmosphere even just being around... I mean, people who were ill, like, did you find that quite emotionally draining? Because you wouldn't tell, like... People listening. Oh, you cannot be talking to my mum about this. My behaviour when I was at the hospital. Um, every time I used to go, I'd always, no matter, throw a tantrum, and it was just because there was a lot of sick kids, and I feel really bad about this now. But being like a snotty brat at that time, uh, how I I probably came across at that time, it was just like you're in a ward, you don't really see yourself as sick as much because I didn't really see myself as like oh my god I'm really sick and yeah. it was just like oh another like annoying thing coming here and doing this but they were genuinely like kids that were really sick and in pain and stuff mm. and they were around me and there'd be babies crying stuff like that and instead of me thinking oh you know what they're not well and because I used to be like why is this child crying why is this kid <laughs> screaming what is their problem why are they being like this and i used to just kick off like oh my god you're being so loud oh my god someone stop this kid oh my god put me in a side room i don't want to listen to this like i really didn't want to know about what anyone else yeah. was kind of going through like, i was just like why are they throwing a t- temper tantrum and as i got older i was like oh wow like they were kids like okay maybe I couldn't see it that way because I had a different mentality at the time but they were genuinely like little kids and they don't know what's going on they weren't understanding it and maybe they weren't as clued on as I was so they were just in pain and they were just suffering for it kind of thing and they were just going along with what the doctors are doing to them and their parents are having to agree with whereas I I had the upper hand of being like aware of everything and having like an input so I, yeah, I used to be quite bad about it. Like, oh, these kids are annoying. Oh, they're so loud. And so would your like mum say that from when you were a kid, like, your relationship, maybe when you were just, like, going to the hospital was tough because you were, like, refusing to... Just yeah, I was I was just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. This is annoying. That child's loud. Why is this? Like, why am I here? That kind of thing. Just be like... Would you say your relationship with anyone else in your family was strained a little bit by what you had to go through? My sister, probably, because when I used to be on high doses of steroid, I, like, used to be a monster. Like, <laughs> the side effects to that is, like, really bad. Like, you just have anger all the time. Like, literally. So, she used to be, like, my little punch bag, in a way. Aww. Not, like, a lot of physical, But, like, it's, it's, like, I used to love staying with my grandparents because I was a spoiled brat with them. So, um... But the doctors wanted my parents to be monitoring, like, my medication and things yeah. like that. So my mum's like, you're staying at home and we're going to, like, keep an eye on you. And then I'd just get raged up on the steroids and then I would <laughs> hit my sister. Like, I would just Sorry. hit her and my mum like, then, like, just pop her one and my mum would be like, oh, my God, now you're setting her off. And my sister just, like, at that time, my sister was really, like, quiet and mousy and just like like mummy's little child like baby kind of thing so (laughs) i was like once i was like and then like i'd set her off and then my mum was like right that's it fine you can go to your grandma's house and then i'd go there and i'd be like yes freedom (laughs) happy kind of thing and then i'd get dragged back home and then literally like mum's like no you're coming home now like you're gonna behave and then i'd do it again and then i'd go back again (laughs) and if i was in like that kind of like even at my grandpa's if i'd be like Oh, I'm so angry. Like, they're like, what do you want? We'll get it for you. And I'm like, okay. Aww. So I was very spoiled, like, by my grandparents. Mm. So, um, yeah, they were really on top of, like, 
all my mood swings, things like that. They just knew how to handle me straight off. Were there any like other side effects other than the steroids making like hormonal anger and stuff? Were, were there any other effects to being on dialysis or other than? So when before I started dialysis with the steroid treatment, it was just um, I think you're at risk of diabetes, a higher risk of diabetes with the steroid exposure. Um, it's a case. It's just your you get swelling, water retention, I think blood pressure issues, those kind of things. There's quite a few different side effects depending on the type of steroid I think that you're on. So with me, I used to get really hormonal, angry, hungry. Oh, really? You get a lot of hair growth. You get really chunky, like fluid, res- the fluid retention was unreal. Like there, there's actually like a, I think a medical term is camel hump. Cause in the back <laughs> of your neck, you get like a medical a, term, <laughs> a, like a water deposit. Oh and God. so you just had like a lump of just water just sitting there and your cheeks like when you see me in school with the cheeks it was just the steroids like the water because you had such a petite frame and then like chubby cheeks yeah exactly and that then makes sense. it was just yeah just fluid overload mm. constantly and then when i was on dialysis um with dialysis you have with your kidneys not working properly you have issues like um you have to watch your diet in mm. the sense of like you can have high phosphate, which if you have too much of phosphate in your blood, um, your bone, uh, your veins calcify. So oh. you need to take like these massive tablets called phosphate binders every time you eat. So like three times a day, you're taking these tablets to bind that from the um, the food. Do you still take that? Yeah, uh, I'm really bad at that, so I'm not going to comment on uh, <laughs> how, how good I am with taking that. But you're supposed to take that three times a day. So if you're prescribed that, please do take it. So, um, <laughs> the doctors are listening. Yeah, in case there's a doctor listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, that you're supposed to take because if you get high build up of phosphate, you're imagine your veins they're like obviously rubbery or whatnot but then they're starting to calcify like a bone and then if you get an injury or cracks mm. your vein is where the blood's flowing and then i'm kind not... of thinking of it like lime scale yeah think of it like lime scale and just <laughs> yeah. then it, the erosion and then the leak but it's internal bleeding mm. so that's not good um the dialysis sessions long term they put a strain on your heart yeah because obviously your body's pumping that blood out it's going through the machine, being filtered, and then pumping back in. So just so like when you have transfusions and things, it puts a lot of strain on your heart. The dialysis does the same. So is it just like to go to the technical? Is it connected to your kidneys, and then whatever urine you have, it? No. So um, with if you've still got your kidneys, yeah, which I don't. If you still have your kidneys, then you might be making like a little bit of urine because your kidneys are what produce the urine in your body um and they your kidneys are filters for everything you eat and drink right so it converts everything like down into you know um potassium phosphate vitamins you know all the stuff that you need the nutrients and the toxins that's the breakdown from the kidneys and the the fluid as well becomes urine and then you pee it out so you don't have fluid retention so it doesn't stay on your body um some people still have their kidneys working when they're on dialysis, like a little bit, so they can still pee. Yeah. So they're not on fluid restrictions. Um, other people might not have any function in their kidneys or have their kidneys removed. I had mine removed when I was 15 just because they were causing higher blood pressure for me. Yeah. So with such a high blood pressure, it was difficult for me to actually dialyse properly on the machine because I used to get really like uh, bad migraines and headaches and feel sick and then... Um, I wasn't even eligible to go on the transplant list with that kind of, like, they needed to stabilise my blood pressure, my blood results. 
So I had my kidneys removed through key, through keyhole surgery, which wow. was... That was when you were in Great Ormond. Yeah. yeah. And that in itself was an argument because they wanted to do like a standard <laughs> surgery where it's like an, an incision across your back. And I had like a, a surgery phobia. So I was like, nope. So I actually went to theatre and walked straight back out because I was like, I can't do this. And then a few weeks later, one of the mums told my mum that if your daughter's got a surgical phobia, why didn't they offer her keyhole? Because that is an option. And the doctors didn't tell my mum that. It's incompetency. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then my mum was like, right, who's this doctor? My mum, like, found out about the surgeon. We contacted the surgeon. And then I was booked in for a consultation through Great Ormond Street. And then they did keyhole surgery. And instead of having a massive incision across my back, it was five barely one centimetre, like, holes where they did, they removed both the kidneys. So were you not scared when you went in for that? That one, not so much, because I knew that, I think I had, like, this whole kind of thing about scarring as mm. well. Mm. So that, not so much, because you couldn't even tell that my kidneys are removed now. Like, there's, you'd probably think I just had, like, a little dot on the back. On my, wow. So if it wasn't for that woman, you wouldn't have... Yeah, no, exactly. So does that, I don't know if there's a silly question, does that mean that you don't wee? Yeah. Or poo? No, you can poo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know we should be more mature about that, not laugh. But I laugh every time someone asks me that. Yeah, so um, I don't have any kidneys now. Um, I've had two kidney transplants. Yeah. Both have failed. I had one when I was, I think, again, 15. Yeah, just after, not too long after I had my kidneys taken out. I went on the transplant list. And within, like, three months, I was really lucky. Three months I was on the list, I had a kidney transplant. And that was on and off working for two years and then I started back on dialysis again and then I was back on dialysis for about three years and then had my second transplant again through the list and when was that one sorry when was the second one the second one I was 20 yeah so um yeah I was 20 years old in 2012 I had it yeah god a long time ago so how do they match you what is it blood type like how do they match you to a kidney what is it that so say for example someone on the list what is it about their kidney that would match to your body so we've all got individual blood types um i'm a positive Mm. so someone might be b positive um a b o um o is a universal donor so they can donate to anyone i'm pretty sure everyone um a can have a to a or a to o and then b can have a b Mm. but not a to a b to a something there's like different, different matchings match. on where it can go this is going back to biology lessons which i was really bad at so um there's different and then there's like six um markers i think tissue typing um markers you need to have at least four matching with the donor along with the the blood type compatibility to be able to have the so transplant. it doesn't have to be a relative or no it doesn't have to so um i think both the donors i had were a positive so and then... And you didn't match, know them? No. They were on the list, I think, both... Dis- I think I know actually what happened to both of them. So my first donor was, I think, a young man in his 20s who died in a car accident, mm-hmm. and he was Scottish, so the ki- kidney came from Scotland. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the sad thing about that story was another kid was called in overnight for that kidney itself, they thought he'd be the match but 
the longer they were running the tests, the more the compa compatibility wasn't working for him. So he came in that morning for dialysis and having his tests from overnight, expecting to have a kidney transplant. I came in just to have dialysis to go home. And then I was finishing my dialysis sessions and I used to fall asleep a lot on dialysis as well. I still do actually. But um, I woke up and there's a doctor there and a nurse there. And they're like, well, we have some news for you. And I was like, and what's that? And they're like, so the kidney actually matches you a lot better. So we've decided that we we'd like you to have the transplant. And I was like, oh. So you're I, excited by that? I wasn't excited only because I was thinking, damn, I, I agreed to go on the list because I thought it'd buy me time to get over my surgical phobia. And then I also felt bad because this kid that I was going to dialysis with was, he'd been there since like midnight the night before having tests. Yeah. He was excited running around, I'm having a transplant today. Kind of guilty, like taking there was a morning. hospital visit that day as well. James Corden and Dizzy Rascal came in. Oh, they they cool. visited the hospital. I think they were promoting the World Cup or something. There was something going on around that time in 2012. Hmm. I think they released a song. Yeah, together. I remember yeah. that. I so they were that on yeah, so they came in that day. <laughs> And he was telling them, he was like, I'm having a transplant today. And they were really excited. And I was like, and then I met him as well. Um, James Corden and Dizzy Rascal, really sweet and everything. And I was like, yeah, he's having a transplant. And it's really nice to see that as well. And I was really happy for him because I was going to see what it was like as a child from another perspective to see what the transplant yeah. process is and everything. But then he didn't get it and I did. And then my mum was like in Manchester, my dad was in Birmingham and they were both called and told, yep, she's having a kidney transfer. So they had to like rush home and I was like. They did, they did it that day? Sorry? They did it they, that day? They did it that night, yeah. Oh wow. So I had my dialysis session. They were like, you can't eat anything else for the rest of the day. And I was like, oh, but I'm hungry. <laughs> and then um, about five, six hours later, I was in there so having the surgery. For a few hours I was in there. And how hours. long until? so overwhelming. It takes, I think, a good few hours, like five, I think it's like five to seven hours to for the surgery. And then how long did you have it until it failed? So I was, I had it on and off, like, working for two and a half years, okay. about two to two, two and a half what years. What do you mean, like, on and off? Like, so I was, so when I woke up, the kidney hadn't woken up either. Yeah. Like, it was just not kick-starting. So I was still having dialysis while I was, while I'd had the transplant. And they kept me in hospital. Normally you go home after, like, a week. Um, but they it just wasn't kickstarting and then eventually it kind of did I don't know what happened it just did they did other treatments as well like steroids and stuff and it eventually started working the other thing was that the donor had a virus and they mm. decided instead of keeping the I think the donor on life support and treating the virus through them they decided to treat it through the recipients so all of us got like a virus. we had like yeah we got basically organs with viruses like i think it was just like a cold type thing nothing like serious like oh i'm gonna infect you kind of thing but we we were just we got an organ and we had a virus and we had to have like antibiotics and stuff for that as well so it's it was like a more bit, medicine that you didn't yeah it's just something extra that you just really didn't need kind of thing then i had a biopsy and they punctured the kidney and i had internal bleeding from that so then I ended up in ICU for a few days where they were just stemming that. So Sorry, was... what's a biopsy? So a biopsy is like, imagine like a knitting needle mm. with like a little bit of a scraper at the end and they just pops in and it just scrapes a bit of the tissues mm. and then take it back up. Why do they do that? Um, they test the, the cells and the right. tissues to see what's going on, like if they can see any damages and, you know, um, under the microscope, mm. like 
anything going on there kind of thing so they test like rejection and stuff like that so they wanted to see if there was signs of rejection straight away and stuff that they did that and that went badly so uh, but then eventually i was fine i was home um chubby again because i was on the steroids because <laughs> you have to be on steroids for um as an anti-rejection there was like loads of other medications that you have to have for anti-rejection you have to take up the rest of your life if you've got a yeah so you're just so you just back chubby. on that yeah like until they taper it down yeah to like a reasonable kind of level they tried to get you off it but i've never been on a transplant where they've managed to successfully get me off the steroids because i get to a certain dose and relapse bam i have one of those addictive bodies apparently where um <laughs> the moment like if i'm on steroids they try to wean me down my body relapses because it notices change. the change yeah. So that's quite annoying. So since the first transplant, you then had another transplant. And yeah. was that one successful? It lasted longer. Mm. I mean, um, I had that in June 2015. Yeah. And I just went back on dialysis Valentine's Day uh, 2018. Romantic. Oh, romantic. Oh, very romantic. <laughs> but yeah, um, that was, it was okay. Um, for the first year, it was great. Like, amazingly then i think the sort of second year it was you could just all of a sudden i had like one episode of rejection and then after what does that, that mean? Like, just to elaborate what is it like episode so it was mean? just like the kidney function it wasn't where it should be like i think with a transplant kidney you're, you're never going to get a hundred percent you're yeah. probably going to get i think is it like 50 to 70 percent something like that or 80 percent and the percentages kind of start going down so like how well it filters yeah so like the kidney just is rejecting like the body is fighting it to because it's a foreign yeah. it's not yours so it's like an attack on the kidney from sometimes your own you body get off. like sometimes like why are you attacking yeah your own why body? are you attacking <laughs> but then it's like your body is doing that because obviously it's like when you get infections and virus yeah. a foreign body like a foreign bacteria or something yeah. is in your body and your that's how you fight off colds and other diseases and stuff so this kidney it's not yours it's not your tissue and stuff like that you have same blood type but it's like me putting like a spoon in my stomach and my body's gonna be like that's not meant to yeah. be there so bodies are clever like i wish that. you could yeah, like speak to it just like please accept it yeah literally like, like please stop accept attacking so when, my pancreas when you were told that you were gonna have another kidney transplant were you excited then for that one no okay it sounds really bad like <laughs> do you want to have a kidney transplant i now yeah I yeah do. i think again it was like i'd been on dialysis i went back on dialysis about a couple of months before i turned 18 so i was transitioning to that the the royal london hospital because i would no longer count as a child therefore i couldn't be at great Ormond street anymore so i wasn't liking the whole change kind of thing and then yeah. i was told that um they were going to put me on like an adult transplant list now because i'd been moved over so i was thinking this can be even longer because there's more adults children get priority anyway automatically from like for yeah. transplants and i was like this is just going to be long and then it's just i think from 2012 to 2015 i was like i had kind of settled into a routine of knowing what i was doing and things like that i mean um I, I'd started working, I'd left education as well in that time. So I had a routine on this is what I do during the day and then in the evening I go for my dialysis and that's all fine. And then, bam, you're having a kidney transplant. And I was like, I just got a new job. and I was, But I'd just been made permanent at my position. So I, that was one thing to 
not worry about was thinking, oh God, like, I weren't going to keep me on or anything. <laughs> I don't really have a choice yeah. <laughs> when you're permanent. So uh, that, they were quite understanding about it. Um, they were a lot of them didn't understand what was going on because they just knew that okay I can't work after a certain time in my shifts because I go for dialysis then one day I'm calling and saying oh yeah I can't come in for at least two months now because I'm having a kidney transplant today um you didn't let us know this I was like yeah to be fair I didn't know until about half an hour ago <laughs> that's kind of one of the how the conversation went so I was at home um I literally just come in a few hours before because it's the weekend and um we had like parties going on and stuff like with friends and then um, my phone kept ringing and I just shut the phone. I I had a feeling it was a hospital number, put it on silent. I was like, no, going back to sleep. My dad's phone was ringing in the other room. My sister's phone was ringing in the other room and I was like, oh, this doesn't sound good. And then the doorbell went and it was my aunt on the at the door and she was like, your mum's calling, the hospital has called. Um, they found a kidney for you and I, and then my dad's trying to wake me up and he's like come on and I what was like what time of night is this this was this was the morning I went out the night before yeah I went out the night before it's now 8am and I'm exhausted because I probably come in at like early hours like, <laughs> only a few hours before so I'm really tired now and I'm just my dad's like okay um hospital's called come on your mum's on the phone like we need to go and I was like no I'm tired I'm going to sleep but I was like, okay, this is not even funny. Like, answer the phone when the hospital calls. So the doctor called and he's like, yeah, great, we found her. I was like, do I have to? And the doctor's like, what do you mean? And my dad's like, she's joking, sorry, it's just her humour. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine, yeah, we're coming. And then went in and they started the testing, both my parents were with me. And then I hate, I'm really, like, impatient in as being a, an inpatient. So I was just sitting there like, oh God, I want to go home. And they're like, no, we've got to take you for x-ray. We've got to do this blood. We, we want you to have an extra dialysis session. We want you to do this. And I was in from like 9 a.m. until 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. just waiting with these tests. Went in, had the transplant, and then started the recovery. And I was in for about six, seven days. So it was a lot smoother with the post-recovery this time around than the first time. There were still like, a lot of tubing like there I was called the terminator while I was there because I literally had like drips out of my neck both arms at one point in my foot because they I didn't have enough veins going on around here it was really embarrassing because like when I eventually did go to the bathroom on my own like a couple of days later some of my friends were visiting so um a couple of my secondary school friends were there my auntie my dad my mum and I had a private room, so it's like literally a few centimetres away is the door for the bathroom. So it's like I went into the bathroom just acting like, oh, I'm just going to like wash my hands or something. But it's pin drop silence on the other side because I think everyone's clocked that I'm actually trying to go to the bathroom. And my mum's literally listening on the other side to hear me pee for the first time. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, you went to the bathroom after so many years. And I was like do you mind this is really embarrassing because all my friends are there so I'm like my my aunt and my dad and I was like pee party (laughs) pee party literally I was like this is really bad like please don't embarrass me like that I was just in there for like ages thinking what do I do what do I do and then it happened and then I I started panicking thinking oh my god what if I go to sleep and forget I've had a transplant (laughs) and then I just pee like in my sleep 
So that was another phobia that began. That's a legitimate fear to be. Literally, just thinking, oh my god, there's times now where I will be asleep and I have a dream where you think you've gone to the bathroom and I wake up panicking like, oh my god. I'm like, oh no, it's fine. You don't have kidneys. You're cool. Nothing's happening. So you don't get the sensation like. I do still, weirdly enough, but I don't know why because there's no kidneys there. But sometimes I really feel like, oh my god, I could really use going to the bathroom. And I don't. So like, you get the sensation, but you can't actually go, or is it like? Yeah. Exactly that. I think I'm probably in the best place I could be given the circumstances right now, like with the whole kidney thing. I mean, it's I originally like last year when just before I went back on dialysis, the plan was I was in lettings. I was gonna be I was a lettings negotiator, and what I wanted to do was learn it here, um, like the trade, and then take it abroad because I thought lettings is something that you could do in any country. Like, mm. I've always wanted to travel, and I love going abroad, and love going on holiday, and I did that a lot when I had my transplant. Like, every other month I was on holiday somewhere. Even if it was two, three days, at least I was seeing something, yeah. like, new. So that was something that I wanted to do, because I just thought everyone needs a home worldwide, so that's a, a job role you can find in any country, and you can adapt in er- any country. So long term I had like a two year plan to do that but um then I started back on dialysis so I kind of had to change that so while that is frustrating I suppose the new role and everything still suits so and if I have another routine yeah got a good routine going on and then if I have another transplant maybe I can look into going back on that other routine so like do you you still go on holidays while you're on dialysis I do so um you can if you're a dialysis patient you can have dialysis abroad um, in other countries um, you're welcome to do that. You can arrange that privately or there's like, um, I think, groups through the hospitals that can help you organise that. Me personally, I'm a little bit paranoid about catching something abroad. <laughs> so I actually just go for like three, four days at a time. So for example, I'd have a dialysis session Monday morning, yeah. fly out in the afternoon and come back Friday and ask them if I can have a session in the evening on Friday. So then I've got all of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and a bit of Friday to yeah. enjoy abroad. I mean, just a few months ago, went to Dubai, did Lovely. that. Had had my um, dialysis around it. it you can good. do it all, folks. Yeah, you can do it all, folks. <laughs> so what we didn't say, guys, is that we actually joined with uh, Asian bridal royalty in the house. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit about your fam- what your family does? I mean, what is what that was like growing up? Because you had some extravagant parties. <laughs> That's not right. Okay, so... Um, as you guys know, but the audience doesn't know, um, my family business is a magazine um, called Asiana. Ah! <laughs> For people that don't know, this is like the Press reference, <laughs> the reference magazine for Asian Bye, brides. If you ever want to plan any Asian wedding or just kind of dream of your wedding when you're like ten years old, you you go to this magazine and it's in basically every Asian hairdressers and waxing woman's shop. And what other Asian fashion places do, we should probably put that <laughs> Yeah, <out. laughs> where it's actually... <laughs> no, yeah, it's not just a magazine, places. but yeah. yeah. Uh, what I was telling Juan earlier is that when I was telling the guys about you, um, Will Pratt, um, I was like, oh yeah, like, she does surgery, like, all these good things, blah, blah, and I was like, oh yeah, I think um, she always had a really cool party. I think her dad, like, owns, um, like, a magazine, like, that's why, like, she's very really fashionable. <laughs> but I was like, oh, cool, like, what magazine? And I was like... 
not sure. Like, let me just, like, look back. And I was, like, looking at your Instagram, and I was just like, I think it's called Asiana, but I'm not sure. And I was like, it can't be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're lying. You're lying. You're, you're literally, literally like, lying. I think, baby, go check, because it just can't be. And I was just like, what am I? Why? I'm like a total fangirl meltdown. <laughs> also, like, I'm honest. The, yeah, the covers, I actually remember one of our... Biology teachers. Yeah, I actually remember this because um, you brought it in, you ripped it out, <laughs> and oh you brought it into school. And she was like, "This is because I don't want to say her name, even though I remember it." Yeah. Um. She, our uh, uh, chemistry teacher, Bi- biology. Yeah, biology chemistry. She was like, she was absolutely stunning. She was one of them, like wedding dress models or something. She had modelled her face, the whole look. Oh my the god, Asian she looked unreal. And she, she was in the magazine. Kind of I saw her, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Miss." Da, da, da. And I was like, I have to show you. No, after everyone. this, I need to know the name. <laughs> <laughs> and I ripped it out and I took it, I put it in my pencil case and I was like, I'm going to have to show everyone. And that was what, when we were like 12, so you've been obsessed with her. I, since then. Well, not her, the magazine. Yeah, that's what I mean, the magazine. <laughs> but what was that like for you? Because you were always doing some kind of event. You And on top of all your busy, hectic schedule, you still were like looking glam. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I think me being ill was probably quite tough on my parents because obviously in that um, industry, it's always on the go. Mm. So they were having to juggle that. They were bringing out like four magazines a year and doing all these events. Plus coming to the hospital with me, staying in the hospital with me because I wouldn't like to stay there on my own kind of thing. So I I, I do feel for them. I think they've done quite well in the sense that like they Very managed well. to juggle this. Especially my mum, she took a lot of... like I, I feel bad sometimes because I think that my mum's work probably suffered a lot more because she was primarily the one that always mm. came to the hospital with me. Yeah. My dad as well, a lot. My like my dad and mum would take turns when my mum would be there all day and my dad would be there like overnight kind of thing. So they both... So, but because I think... I don't know if it's a guy and girl thing, but I think my dad was more able to juggle work and yeah. he had a more larger staff base that he could leave things to, whereas my mum was just sort of working freelance on her own. So it was... Uh, every, all her team were freelance so it was just a case of she didn't have anyone to put the work onto it yeah. was do it yourself or put it all on hold to be with me kind of thing so I mean that was quite tough on them but um, they were I think I was probably more spoilt than with I, I got to have these parties and have the fun time because they probably felt a bit I, th- I think they, they thought my mum did especially she used to think that okay when I used to get really overloaded with food and stuff, like I couldn't do all these like fancy outfits and designer stuff and like other kids my age probably dressing up, especially like their clients and their business partners and stuff, like their kids and stuff, like they're all having these fancy lifestyles. I probably couldn't do that as much because I'd be like, oh, too overweight with the fluid retentions or not feeling well, couldn't have as much. So things like having my birthdays and stuff like that, those were like big Your things yeah. in my time. So my parents used to, to make like, up for do whatever you want to do with that. Like um, you tell us what you want and we'll kind of plan it. And I generally love event planning. Like, um, I think this is your calling. Yeah. Yeah. You're obsessed with intervening in other people's weddings. Yeah, literally, yeah. I mean, that's the conversation I've been having all day. So I absolutely love planning any kind any excuse. You'll literally say, oh, it's my cat's birthday. I'll, I'll help you plan a party. <laughs> so, so being in this kind of industry with my parents was amazing because it's like, all right, I know. I want this theme for my party. So wow. can you make it happen? And my parents are like, okay, cool. What, what was the best the- birthday? 
Um, probably my twenty first. I had a masquerade ball. Oh wow! Nice. So that was Classy. really good. Like we had um, a saxophonist, we had fire eaters, yes. like dancers kind of thing. Um, really cool DJ, dance floor, photo booths. Um, couple of outfit changes. <laughs> like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> you know, it's because I think I grew up watching my super sweet 16. Of course. Yeah. So it was like, I was always like, wow, I when I get older, I'm going to, yeah, and I was like, every year it was like, it's got to up it more and more and more. Like, I'm going to be 25 this year and I'm already, like, since September last year, I've been planning, Can oh, you there's a few. I mean, I'm thinking it could be a fancy dress or it could be something to do with, like, do you know what? If I was turning 25 in the 20s, I would have totally have done Gatsby again because you have to bring back the mm, 20s, Gatsby. Yeah. But then I, I also have always been fascinated by Alice in Wonderland and that whole psychedelic yes. thing. And I'm thinking, I did last year, I did the black and white party. And that was just because I turned 23. So I was like, well, why not yeah. have another <laughs> party kind of thing? So um, there's quite a few different themes. I'm in, quite liking the Alice in Wonderland. I, I know, it's I like, like decorations could be. Yeah, they could be really yeah. good. No, I'd go as the Mad Hatter. <laughs> It's now time for our tea break segment where Iman will tell us what inspires her or something that's motivated her and that's changed your behaviour or thinking in some way. Okay, Um, so I wouldn't say, okay, there's a lot of inspiring people in my life, generally, like family and friends. Um, they, They have their own issues, whether it's not sickness or anything, and they've got, they still manage to get through day to day. I think with me, uh, personally, it's time, like time itself is like a massive thing for me. Like um, a lot of it was spent in hospital and under medical treatments and things like that and just not feeling the best. So it's really important that if I'm having a good day or I have a free day to make the most of it kind of thing. Like um, I don't want to have any regrets kind of thing. So it's like, you know, when you're, you kind of, I kind of try and think that, okay, if I make it up to like 70, 80, Am I going to look back and think, oh, I had a really cool life and it was really amazing and have like loads of amazing memories? Or am I going to think, oh God, like I really wasted it because I was more worried about, oh, sick and not really having a good time. So I want to make the most of like my time, um, whether that be building like a career, um, family in the future, um, or just exploring, like traveling. I love traveling and I want to make sure that I get to see as much as the world of the world as I can um yeah if I because I don't know tomorrow I could get sick and end up in the hospital for a week and I've lost that time yeah so if I've got one day today and then I'm not gonna have a week tomorrow I want to make sure that I can pack as much in in that day and then say do you know what it's fine I'm here in the hospital now because I've actually had a quite a few good days so it's okay to take this time out and be sick or whatever it is that's happening and then, yeah, I think that's probably my biggest motivation. Just make sure that there is no such thing as a dull moment. It's always make the most. The most, yeah, make the most of it. So that is all we have time for on this episode of the No Added Sugar podcast. Thank you so much, Iman, for talking with us today. I couldn't be more grateful. Just thank you so much for taking time out. Um, I hope you guys listening can take as much as I do from Laman. She's really shaped my life um, and she doesn't even know it. Thank you so much. Oh. And if people do have any questions about uh, renal kidney failure or 
questions about party planning <laughs> or just want to pre um your instagram but i do think people might have some questions where can they find you okay so um you can catch me on twitter instagram facebook so it's iman underscore ahmed and if anyone has any health or mm. party related issues just wants to have a chat i'm always happy to listen and discuss um share swap stories kind of thing you know just Amazing. on hand it's always nice to think that you can help other people by yeah. sharing your own story so i hope that if i inspire even one or two people You've that's inspired us you. oh yeah. that's great so i'm um, of course by all means if anyone wants to reach me i'm always available to Lovely. chat to thank you thank you. thank you thank you for having me oh thanks for coming <laughs> um please follow us on at no added sugar podcast um and we'd love to hear what inspires you hashtag no added sugar and if you have any feedback or comments about the podcast or any improvements we can make please drop us a message on instagram or no edition the podcast at gmail.com bye 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 <laughs> <laughs>